0: Recording.
1: All right, 1909 Olympics.
0: No, it's still 1908. 1908 we're actually
1: going eight, back.
0: One more. We're going back in time.
1: 1907.
0: No, we're going back in couple Make the
1: back in time noises.
0: <laughs> Welcome back to Olympic Size, the unofficial, unlicensed, unaffiliated with the IOC true history of the Olympics. I am your host, Bridget Natalie, with my co-host uh, Leon Cockleberg <laughs> from Belgium. Belgium. From Belgium. <laughs> From Belgium? <laughs> that would be Sarah from Kentucky. <laughs> from Belgium?
1: Should we pull back the curtain? This is the same recording session as last time, so I'm actually still just here from my previous guest spot.
0: Yeah, You are in the exact same chair, the guest spot chair, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's introduce a big yourself? spotlight on him.
1: We've no. both looked up when she said that, but that's fine. Can you
0: say your name? Frank. All right, so Frank Costello, the special guest. <laughs>
1: So as we we rewind the clock to 1907 and a half.
0: No, 1908. Still, we just went back a couple months because we talked about the Winter Olympics last time, and now we're back in the Summer Olympics. "Quote unquote
1: Winter Olympics."
0: Yeah, or the Winter Games. Um, <clears throat> so here's the deal with the Summer Games from 1908. You remember we we're in London. They built that really impressive stadium. Yeah. Stadium's with,
1: good. Weather sucks. That's with, what I the stadium remember.
0: with the indoor pool with the swimming.
1: No one was murdered or, by the pool this year. Presumably. No, no,
0: because they actually. Uh, apparently, by 1908, had developed the plumbing technology necessary to have these artificial swimming pools, so they didn't have to swim in the Thames <laughs> or whatever, wherever they. That were might have this. killed people. That probably, the Thames is very polluted. Yeah, that probably would have killed a lot of people. Uh, so yeah,
2: <clears throat> this guy's name is Gerard Bosch van Drakestein. <laughs>
1: we shouldn't give you the note pages to read from before you actually have to read the excerpts. Apparently,
0: that's such a name. This, this is why I have trouble with the names sometimes. Alright, so yeah, again, uh, the Summer Games from 1908 were generally run pretty well. They were not a 1904 or 1900-style 1900 disaster if you look at the actual records. But, for some reason, the Americans pitched a fit about pretty much everything that happened, especially with the track and field events, starting with the imagined Snub at the opening ceremonies, the whole thing with the flag.
1: You say imagined Snub, but they did kind of mess up the flag ceremony.
0: No, it was the flags flying over the ceremony. The, the Americans, when they went in in the Parade of Nations, had their actual flag. It was a display of flags of all the countries that were competing. Plus Japan. Plus Japan and China, for some reason. Minus well, the U.S. Minus two people that were actually there. Yeah, the Swedes got over it, is my point. Like, <laughs> well,
1: that's because in, by in the- character, and we didn't, which is also in character. But yeah. they
0: also fixed it before the ceremony actually started. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I feel slighted. So anyway, it's it's a uh, hundred and ten years later. and I yeah, guess, I'm still like, mad. Yeah. Uh, so it started with the opening ceremonies and continued for months afterwards in letters and press releases alleging all kinds of misconduct, <laughs> usually with incredibly insulting language. Later, these Olympics would be referred to, uh, I guess, by historians as, quote, the Battle of Shepherd's Bush. Before we get to the main event, I'm very proud of you for not snickering at that. I'm already I'm out. I'm <laughs> out which I'll focus on the track and field events. I'm gonna go through any bits of interest from the other sports. This was the first time that the Olympic aquatic events occurred in a man-made pool in an athletic facility. So by 1908, in the richest country in the world, in their state-of-the-art sports complex, they were able to get the plumbing together so they didn't have to swim in the Thames, which I think we just talked about.
1: Yeah, I pulled that out of order slightly, sorry. That's
0: all right. I couldn't remember if we were actually recording when I said that. You're pointing at names again. This guy's
2: last name is Whore. (laughs)
1: All right, you got past Battle of the... All right, never mind.
0: The swimming. So we're going to talk about swimming. The swimming... Michael
1: Phelps won 17 medals at this Olympics.
0: Yeah, it was kind of amazing. Uh, the swimming event at the 1908 Olympics was the best international swim meet to date. 100 competitors from 14 nations arrived, including the top swimmers from Great Britain, Australia, Sweden, and the United States, and Hungary. Sarah's having a moment. <laughs> What? I don't even know what you're laughing at.
2: Ron uh, Michael Phelps, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's how dumb it was.
0: Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna start laughing. All right.
2: We're in a good place, is what I'm saying. How much of this? I'm water- drinking water. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't
0: know like I don't know what you want from me. There were six events, not all freestyle this time. Uh, 100 meter, 400 meter, 1500 meter, and four uh, the it's an 800 meter relay f- four by 200, so four people doing 200 meters each. All freestyle. The 100 meter backstroke, and the 200 meter breaststroke. There was still no agency set up to track world records, but as far as we can tell, all the world records and the events were broken during these Olympics, and without the aid of the current. <laughs> so.
1: We don't know how the pool was set up. There might have been very strong current in the in the pool. I don't,
0: I don't, no, no, I don't think so. Mm. Uh, some familiar names who competed were, uh, the Hungarian swimmer Zoltan von Halme. he showed up in like a bunch of these, uh, Otto Chef of Austria and Charles Daniels of the US, Not to be confused with Charlie Daniels, this was the last Olympics for the redoubtable Halme, finishing his stellar Olympic career with a silver in the 100 meter freestyle and in the relay. Charles Daniels won gold in the 100 meter freestyle and bronze in the relay in his final Olympics as well. Otto Chef won bronze in the 400 meter freestyle and would return in 1912, but only as part of the water polo team. Rising star of these games was somebody who competed in 1906 but had been overshadowed somewhat by these other powerhouses. Henry Taylor of Great Britain won gold in the 400 meter freestyle, 1500 meter freestyle, and helped to lead the British team to the gold in the relay. remember his name because he'll be returning for a few more olympics he also served in the british royal navy during world war one but survived unlike some of the other athletes we'll be talking about in the next few episodes
1: well that got dark real quick before i could inject that this might just be michael phelps under an alias uh, (laughs) circa 1908
0: henry taylor oh somebody's mad all right
1: whoa all
0: right picking up uh diving one interesting note for diving speaking of names this one's tough valborg florstrom of finland and eba gisiko of sweden gave an exhibition performance of female diving uh, it was the first time women appeared in olympic pool and women would compete for diving in the first for the first time in 1912. There were two medal events, plane diving and fancy springboard diving. The Swedish men dominated the plane high diving, sweeping the medals by a comfortable margin. The Germans were almost as dominant in the springboard, sweeping, say, for George Gadzik of the U.S., who tied for bronze.
1: Now, which of these events, or possibly both, included fancy entering the water?
0: (laughs) Both. Gadzik was... Had also competed in the platform and was briefly disqualified from the event as one of the judges saw, thought he saw him getting signals from a teammate on the ground. The Americans protested the disqualification and it was upheld. He, what?
1: He what comp- signals help you diving?
0: I, I have no idea.
1: Fall, fall <laughs> at nine point eight meters per second squared. Uh,
0: he competed. flip. <laughs> he competed in the finals but didn't medal. Uh, in water polo, only four teams competed in order of finishing. Great Britain, Belgium, Sweden, and the Netherlands. Or, and Netherlands? I don't think it's the Netherlands. Anyway. Archery. Every time we talk about archery, I feel like I understand this sport even less. Uh, So in 1900, there were 5,000 French people competing. In 1904, only Americans competed, even though the event was ostensibly open to all. And if I recall correctly, they were mostly from Ohio. Uh, That's true of any event. The Greeks didn't bother with archery at either Athens Olympics. This one was slightly more even than the other two, with 57 British ar- archers, 15 French, and one American. I
1: think the British are good at being archers historically.
0: Yeah, that was kind of their thing for a while. Of the 57 British archers, 25 were women. They were the only women who competed in the one woman's, women's event, so they swept the medals for that. There were two men's events continental style and gentleman's double york round
2: oh boy that sounds like the most english thing i've ever
1: heard of in my entire life
0: french swept continental style great britain won gold and silver in the double york round with henry richardson of the u.s winning bronze
1: continental style meaning in the style of the continent Yeah. meaning in the style of mainland europe meaning in the style of france
2: yeah
0: and the french swept
1: this makes a lot of sense
2: don't uh don't try to pull a double york on an empty stomach is all i'm saying
0: The women's competition was a double national round. Lottie Dodd led after the first day.
2: We're just going to let that go by? Yep. Yep. Uh,
0: However, she wasn't able to keep it up and scored so low that Sybil Queen Newell was able to pass her. Newell was 53 at the time, making her the oldest female Olympic gold medalist. I think still to this day. Mm -hmm. Lottie Dodd was the top female British athlete of the time. She won her first Wimbledon title at the age of 15 and would go on to win five more. She retired from tennis and turned to other sports, first field hockey and then golf, eventually winning the British Ladies Amateur Championship in 1904.
1: It's quite then, the gamut of sports.
0: And then apparently archery, becoming an Olympic silver medalist four years later.
1: <laughs> I, that's a good range of talent.
0: Yeah, her and, and Snowy Baker, they just yeah. kind of did everything. Uh, cycling. Cycling was held during the first week of the main part of the Olympics in the, at the White City. It rained the entire five days. Flooding on the track was a serious problem. I guess the White City was open air. I keep imagining it as like They didn't like have clo- time to build a roof. That's true. They, they built that whole thing in less than a year. All right. So I guess it was open it was air.
1: Respect is being closed, but they didn't have time to finish it.
0: Yeah. Flooding on the track was a serious problem, especially in the 100-kilometer race, which was the marquee race of these games. In the second heat, Mr. Harry Venn a judge for the speedwalking races, the what now? Wandered nope. onto the track.
1: This is exactly what I expect <laughs> from a He needed a better angle. quote, walking, unquote, <laughs> he judge. He wanted to
2: see the action. He had to
1: make sure that the wheels of the bicycles weren't leaving the ground.
2: He wanted to make sure the wheels on the bikes went round and round.
0: Sarah, braced yourself.
2: I'm waiting for heat 15 with my boy.
0: Guillaume Cockleberg of Belgium hit him.
2: Hell yeah. Yes. I that's told you.
1: you get, I told you he was going to be that's important. That's what get
0: Hell the
2: race yes.
1: quote walking quote unquote into the track. That man is he, a champion. You know what? If he had been able to, and willing to run away from the bike, he might not have gotten hit. But no, he had to walk if
2: away from If you kill the... a judge in the line of duty, do you go to prison? He,
1: yes.
0: <laughs> Guillaume Cockleberg of Belgium hit him and was thrown from his bike. He hit his head on the concrete curb of the track. My oh, boy. Neither one were seriously injured. Cockleberg got back on his bike and managed to qualify for this the finals is, anyway. This nice. is the
2: most, like, Three Stooges thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. Crash like, McCree wasn't even there. Like, like, I'm imagining him flying through the air, just like, whoa! like
0: arms on his and, Yeah, arms
2: and legs are flying everywhere. <laughs> Mini French gasps.
0: It probably would have been better for our boy Cockleberg if he hadn't made it to the finals. The track was already f- wet from the rain when the race started, and it rained on, off and on the entire race, saturating the cyclists and making the track treacherous.
1: You're gonna want your cyclists saturated. <laughs> I really hope this does not end in him dying of pneumonia after all the... Jokes oh no. we just made. I don't oh. think so. That's I mean, he
2: is dead. You
1: just—you had a really ominous um... segue into the finals. It's
2: important to state that all of these people are dead. We don't know that.
0: I'm pretty sure they are. Uh, this was in 1908. That was 110 years ago. They're all dead. It's um, okay. Most of them died in World War One, so <laughs> death is oh, a part of life.
1: There we go then.
0: Uh, yeah, uh, the track was already w- okay, uh, saturating the cyclists and making the track treacherous. Favorite Leon Meredith of Great Britain was involved in a crash at 13 miles with Walter Andrews and DC Robertson. Leon got back on his bike and kept going but was way in the back and never recovered. At 62 laps he was lapped and dismounted within the next mile. Sydney Bailey of Great Britain was leading at the 50 kilometer mark but it was not to last. Nothing bad happened to him but he just couldn't keep up the pace. At 115 laps Charles Bartlett of Great Britain was leading but got a puncture. Back on the track, he was boxed in the main pack by Canadian Harry Young. The final lap came down to three British cyclists and one lone Frenchman, Bartlett, Charles Denny, uh, Bartlett, we mentioned earlier, uh, Charles Bartlett, uh, Charles Denny, William Pett, and Octave Lapiz. Lapiz didn't stand a chance with the British cyclists boxing him out. Bartlett had excellent sprinting time and won the gold medal, setting an Olympic record and a world record in the process. Lapiz did manage to beat Pett out for the bronze. He would... Oh, this guy. He would later go on to become the first former Olympic cyclist to win the Tour de France in 1910. He was also the only cyclist to win the Paris-Roubaix three years in a row from 1909 to 1911. He also won Paris-Brussels 1911 to 1913, and Paris-Tours in 1911. During that 1910 Tour de France victory, he is famous for getting frustrated during one of the climbs and shouting at the race officials Vous êtes des assassins. We des assassins. I think that's how you say it. You are murderers. Yes, murderers. <laughs> this was not just him being a diva, though. The stage that upset him was 326 kilometers long, consisting of seven brutal climbs, which was raced on unsealed roads with single gear bicycles. Oh, they had fixies. Yeah, they had fixies and Hipsters. It. Yeah, 1908.
1: That sucks.
0: Yeah.
1: Fixies suck. <laughs> Come at me, hipsters.
0: <laughs> Octave Lapiz's cycling career ended with the beginning of World War I. He fought as a fighter pilot and was shot down in a dogfight near Fleury, Muirth a Moselle on July Fourteenth, 1917, and later died from his injuries in a hospital in Toul. He is, wh- he is one of the first we've mentioned, though there was uh, Molson who uh, died in, in... Of the uh, beer fame. Yeah. He was like the son of the guy, yeah. But he R- died in battle too. He's one of the first we've mentioned, but he won't be the last. The list of Olympians killed in World War I is fairly long. Most of them having competed in, in 1908 or 1912. Kockelberg didn't finish the race. In fact, out of the 17 entrants, nine didn't finish. Uh, a bigger fiasco than this, though, was the 1,000-meter sprint match sprint in which nobody won a medal. To explain why, we'll need to go over what a match sprint is. This information comes from CyclingTips.com.
1: Wait, nobody won a medal.
0: Nobody won a medal. what? That—that's that excerpt I have. But we're—we're we're not there yet. I had to explain what this race is before.
1: Yeah, because I want to know what part of the rules allow for there to be no winners.
0: Yeah, a match. I mean, sprint, other than like
1: baseball, where everyone loses, including the viewer. Yeah, like most sports have a winner.
0: A match sprint is a one versus one format with two riders starting at the same point on the track. While the race is for 750 meters, only the final 200 meters are timed. Early la- early laps are usually raced at a slow pace, with riders sometimes coming to a complete stop as they battle one another another for position, trying to force their opponent to the front. The first rider to f- across the finish line wins. Wait.
1: So you start bicycling.
0: This is so hard to explain.
1: No, it's- I'm explaining it. So you start bicycling. Correct me when I'm wrong, because it's going I'm to happen probably almost sure. to me. You start bicycling, and at some point, there's a starting line of the race later on where you have to be bicycling. Yeah. But you don't want to be bicycling through it first, because why?
0: I don't know. <laughs> I, it's really weird to watch, too. Like see it, I don't think they have it as an individual medal sport anymore, but I think it's part of that, like...
1: If it's time, okay, only the last two laps are timed.
0: Pretty much. I mean, it changes depending on how long the race actually so is. So you
1: want to do those two laps as quickly as possible.
0: Yeah. So all
1: that really matters is that you are at speed when you enter those two laps.
0: Yeah, and also your position on the track. So you want to conserve as much energy as possible leading up to those timed laps. Mm-hmm. And also put yourself in a good position strategic position to get it.
1: What is strategic position? Is it because you might get boxed out by other There's only two and people on the track. Then it doesn't matter where you are on the track when it starts. Well, uh, I mean, bicyclers, email us <laughs> if you know these rules and understand why this sport makes sense. <laughs> okay.
0: There are no rules. Uh, I think
1: that there are some anyway. rules. They're very complicated.
0: The, s- the sprint competition begins with a 200 meter flying start time trial to seed the riders for the knockout stages of three lap races. The best two riders fight it out in the final. Sometimes riders will come to a standstill in an effort to make their opponent take the lead, which is the least advantageous position before the final sprint to the finish line. I don't know why. The race often comes down to the last 500 meters or 50 meters, but you may see some riders choosing to go early. So, this isn't exactly what they were doing because this was a 1,000 meter race and not a 750 meter race, but you get the idea, uh, maybe. I don't think I do. Unfortunately, while the first whatever number of meters are slow, there's still a maximum amount of time that the race can take. So, like.
1: So, eventually, you just time out and lose, and the Sonic Drowning music plays. Yeah. I mean, I'm not doing it very well, but, like. So
0: that, yeah. also not good. You have to, like. We'll
1: put this in and post. Put the sound bite.
0: I never do that. So. You have to do it yourself? But, yeah, so. The first like two thirds of this race are really really slow, but there's still like a maximum amount of time that this race can even take. So you can't just like stand on the. You course. can
1: apparently. No,
0: no, but you can't because eventually the time runs out and everybody I mean, loses. You can. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what if nobody finishes?
1: Then this happens. No one finishes. And this. Oh, what right. happened? I'm anyway, sorry. read
0: the excerpt of what actually happened at this cycle, the one thousand meter race, and why nobody By won inches. a medal. <laughs>
1: Well, according to The Sporting Life, this was a fiasco, for not only was the race declared void through the time limit being exceeded, but in addition, Kingsbury and Johnson punctured. The former was thrown out of the race before half a lap had been covered, and Johnson's mishap occurred at the beginning of the last banking. Most of the work was done on the banks at a crawl, but in spite of the red flag being shown the competitors, they continued the same rate of progression. They were hopelessly outside the time limit when the sprint came. When, with Johnson puncturing, Sills and Jones rode out in an inch's finish. The Frenchman got there by two or three inches. No official placing was given. So, they were warned hey, you're bad at this. Your event is taking too long. Race the bicycle race. They did not. Then they did anyway, apparently. <laughs> Having a photo finish for a race they had already taken so long that it was voided. Yep. I see why none of them deserved gold medals.
0: <laughs> or any medals. <clears throat> <clears throat> Moving on. Fencing. The French swept Epee. Foil was an exhibition sport because the judges decided it was more of an artistic event than a competition. Twelve. It's a sword fight. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a fancy boy sword fight.
1: There's still a clear winner.
0: That's apparently the not lad.
1: Yeah. whoever's alive at the end of the sword fight
0: the fanciest lad <laughs> 12 nations were invited to participate in the exhibition and they were all allowed to send two athletes one of the fencers from great britain was miss millicent hall she was ladies british ladies foil championship for 1907 and 1908 and the first woman to appear in an olympic fencing event women's fencing would become a medal sport in 1924 the big story about fencing is the Hungarians and the beginning of their total domination of saber for most of the 20th century.
1: The fanciest lads.
0: A well, saber isn't as fancy as foil. Mm. S- says you. you. Tell
1: that to someone wielding a saber.
0: They don't want to be fancy. They want to be manly as hell. Well, they're fancy. <laughs> Those are not incompatible. Yeah. yeah. That's true. That is very true. All right. Gino F- Fuchs. Fuchs? I don't know how to say this. It's Hungarian won his first and second gold medal in individual saber and team saber. He would repeat this in 1912, making him a four-time gold medalist. From 1908 until 1964, a Hungarian fencer would win the gold in individual saber. The only time they didn't was in 1920 when they weren't invited to the Olympics as they were identified as an aggressor nation in World War I. I don't know why. I mean, that's
1: probably true i have
0: no idea why i
1: think there's a lot of nations that could <laughs> be called aggressor nations in <laughs> yeah, world like war one why I. would
0: you single out like hungary i don't Spite. know yeah uh they lost that i was. guess i don't you
2: know why they should. were Look. hungry for power <laughs> God. i think they
1: were hungry yeah. for more gold medals if you're gonna pick one yeah. nation to like be mean to you might as well pick out the one who's been beating your ass at saber for decades <laughs>
0: yeah uh they also won all of the world championships in individual saber from 1923 to 1937 and 1951 to 1955 they were just as dominant during that period in team saber, saber starting in 1908 with their opening match against germany in which they won nine to zero and as far as anybody has recorded this is the first time in a fencing team fencing match that the losing team never scored a single point Hungary would go on to win all the gold medals for team fencing until 1960, with the exception of 1920, which we've just mentioned. At one point, Hungary won 46 consecutive matches during this streak. The first world championship for Team Sabre was in 1930, which the Hungarians won. World championships were held through the 1950s on non-Olympic years. The Hungarians won in 1931, 33 through 35, 37, 51, 53 through 55, and 57 through 58.
1: So the takeaway from this week's episode is don't get into a sword fight with a Hungarian. You will lose.
0: (laughs) Especially like mid-century, mid-20th century. I don't know if they have gotten
1: worse at sword fighting. I think maybe they're just... They're it's like pulling dark. back. They're yeah. like, yeah. They just got bored of winning. They're winning yeah. so much
0: they got bored. Of that it. has oh happened. God, is that what that looks like? Yeah. That <laughs> has
1: happened before, right? There's the who's the the skiers who are setting up like training camps around the world to like bring about. I think it's Norway. Yeah, Norway like <laughs> is training competitors to come to the Winter Olympics because they.
0: We're tired of winning all yeah. the time and. and we have too many gold
1: medals. It's weighing down our country. I
0: just wanted to mean something.
1: Yeah, sure. But, like, I feel like well, it's also, the same deal here.
0: I mean, like, what happened with um, softball was, to, was an Olympic sport, but then the Americans... We did
2: not get tired of winning.
0: Yeah. Well, every other country got tired of us beating them. <laughs>
2: That's their problem. <laughs> yeah. That's a moral Get good. Nobody yeah, ever practice. came
0: close. Well, if we had set up training camps around the world to, like, actually get some competitors, why maybe it would that? still be an Olympic mm-hmm. sport.
2: Yeah, why would we do that? Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know. Mm-hmm.
0: Ask the Norwegians. Win. All right. Um, well, mean? Anyway.
1: The, the Norwegians are not going to want us to kick skiing out of the Olympics. If softball was, an a, was
0: a
2: winter sport, it would still be in the Olympics.
0: Yeah, because we don't have enough winter sports. Anyway. Gymnastics. Once again, not only was gymnastics totally different from previous years, we also don't know an awful lot about how they did it. They had an individual all-around team event and a team all-around event. For the team all-around, they did a weird thing where the first place team got a gold medal and then the individual team members got silver medals. What? <laughs> Wait, I don't know! Wait, Our what? powers
1: combined, we are the gold medal. <laughs> I don't,
0: what? I don't know. That makes,
2: there's no way that that makes any sense.
0: Then the second place team got a silver medal and the individual team members got bronzes. As far as we know, the third place team didn't get, they got nothing! They got nothing, so they you get lose a bronze
1: medal and then they Could get that. wreaths or
0: something. As far as we know, they the third okay spoons, <laughs> ten spoons. Sweden came in first, Norway second, and Finland third. And we will talk about next time with the Stockholm Olympics. Sweden was like nuts for gymnastics. Interesting.
1: Gymnastics is where again the multiple kinds of rope climbing.
0: Yeah, I don't but, like. I don't know what they did here. The, we have like the a surviving records. Yeah, horse double
1: thing? parallel horse.
0: Yeah. Oh no, we do. Okay, we do. All right, oh. so. She's found information. There are no surviving complete records. There are no survivors. That's where I thought this was going.
2: We don't know anything about the gymnastics because no one there lived was a to tell all the tale. no survivors.
0: It's weird because like the spectators could see everything that was happening, but like the
2: third, third place team got nothing because they didn't live to receive the medals.
0: There are no surviving complete records for men's individual. We know they competed in seven events on five different apparatuses or apparatus. horizontal bar, swinging in slow movements,
2: horse, horse.
0: Horse. Parallel bars. Horse. Rings. Stationary and swinging movements. Those are like two events. Rope climb. And pummel horse. Hell yeah. <laughs> what are stationary... Same, that's the
1: last. Stationary movements, meaning you are not allowed to have the, the rings themselves move?
0: I don't... I think it's like
2: you stand still the judge pokes you
1: (laughs) if you move you lose you move the rings around
2: you (gasps) you don't I
0: think it's (laughs) like it's like
2: like a Doctor Strange thing
0: you know when they do the rings and they have like the Iron Cross thing where they just hold their arms out and just kind of hang there riveting
1: that's impossible
0: It's really hard. Oh, they do it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and you're supposed to, like, just not move at all. They just turn very red. And the the more you, like, sway (laughs) or tremble, like, the more points they take off.
2: (laughs) It was exactly like that.
0: So I'm guessing the stationary event is, like, where you just do different forms like that, and then the swinging is when you do the flips. Cool. So. uh, Now we combine that into one event, but they had it in two separate.
2: I, I don't think we ever make them just sit there.
0: No, because you can't just sit there because it's up in the air. You can't. (laughs) You have to like jump up to even touch it. Another one of these. I'm gonna look for more names. I know. No. No. We okay. We know Alberto Braglia of Italy won gold. S. Walter Tyson of Great Britain won silver, and Louis Segura Segura of France won bronze. The scores of the top twenty finishes are known, and after that, it's piecemeal. One of the only sources about this being a book about Dutch Olympian Olympians which only listed the scores of Dutch athletes. There's entire gaps in the records of names and nations for who these guys were. The gold medalist Alberto Braglia is an interesting guy. He used his Olympic fame to start a good career in trapeze, which was cut short by a pretty bad fall in 1910, but he recovered enough to defend his title in 1912 in Stockholm. After that, he went pro as an acrobat in the circus, but came back to gymnastics to coach the Italian Olympic team in 1932
1: better resolution than what i thought you were gonna say which was it was cut short by world war one again yeah uh
0: polo there were so many polo events in europe the summer of 1910 and 1908 that the olympics did not draw a very high caliber of competitors and weren't of much interest to anybody there were three teams two from england and one from ireland england won the gold ireland and the other english team tied for silver rackettes which was like the first event of these olympics Rackets is similar to squash, and in 1908 was only popular in Great Britain. Shockingly, all the competitors were British, and the British swept both singles and doubles. Rowing and sculling. Rowers from eight nations competed in rowing and sculling, which was a pretty deep field. One weird thing about the 1908 Olympic rowing and sculling event. Rowing.
1: Rowing was the word I was looking for last week about the sport that was interrupted by the yacht race. It's
0: yeah, funny. yeah. The that's
1: other- the that's the word. I came up with coxswain. <laughs>
2: oh. I just caught up with last week. I'll be over here in my corner. (laughs) Remembering (laughs) what day it is.
0: One weird thing about the 1908 rowing and sculling event is that, as far as we could tell, only gold medalists were given any kind of award. Each race was head-to-head, so so to even guess at who would be the bronze medalist, you'd have to go to the qualifying heats and see who was the fastest out of the top two runners-up. In the IOC official results in the Mallon and Buchanan book, they count both runners up from the final heats as bronze medalists. There are four events, all one and a half miles, single skulls, coxless pairs, coxless fours, and coxed eights. The big exciting one was coxed eights. The undisputed favorites were the Belgian team who had won the European championship from 1906 to 1908. In fact, the Belgian team had won that title every year from 1897 to 1910, save only 1905 and 1909. The only real challenger on the field was the British team. They were the two that made it to the final. The Britain led by half a length after the first half mile, and around one mile the Belgians made a huge effort and pulled ahead briefly, but couldn't keep up the pace. Britain pulled away easily and won the gold by two lengths.
1: Now you said this was the most anticipated. Of the rowing events? Is that yes. great? And is that because everyone was eager to know which random street urchin would get pulled <laughs> off and become a coxswain on one of these boats?
0: I don't, I, I don't know if they had rules about that at this point, but... Uh, the Do they have rules heard. about
1: that now? Is that not still the dream that I can pursue that's, to the Olympics? That's that's the official way that you get it,
2: a Cox boy swain. I that's think you're not, also... I don't know what
0: it's called, I'm sorry! You're a little old to be, like, the street urchin pulled off the street to be the coxswain now, aren't He's you? He's gonna dress
2: in, like, some rags. Yes. <laughs> Shave the beard. I think you're a shoo-in. You are a shoe
0: in you got to wear those, like, long shorts that the street urchins were all their age with the street urchins in I think in those friends. were just pants that
1: they outgrew. I don't think those were long shorts.
0: Hold a bowl
2: and say, please, sir, I want some more.
0: Try to sell some matches. They like that. What? <laughs> the Little Match Girl is what I'm making a joke about. You know, the story about a street urchin girl who dies in the winter.
1: That's like every story from... <gasps> that's every story from Turn of the Sensory London.
0: Oh, you never read The Little Match Girl?
1: I, it's like a shorter dog of Flanders.
2: I don't know what that is either. They die in the read. winter. I don't actually am Turns illiterate.
1: out uh, all literature was super depressing in Turn of the Sensory Europe. Yeah.
0: Shooting! Yes! <laughs> There was a decent amount of national diversity in this event as well. 215 shooters from 14 nations. Jeez. Australia, Belgium, Canada, Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Great Britain, Greece, Hungary, and the the Netherlands, Norway, Sweden, and the US. There were 15 events, and out of the 45 available medals, Great Britain won 21 of them. The US had a disappointing showing. The last few Olympics but earned six medals in shooting here, three of them gold. Russia had entered and never withdrew, and actually showed up to compete 13 days after the competition.
1: Okay, but if they showed up with a gun, who are you going <laughs> to yeah, argue with exactly. Them?
0: The problem was the calendar. We didn't get into this when we were talking about the 19... 19- Gregorian. Yes. <laughs> Sarah Rasputin
2: Space, strikes again. Rah,
0: rah, Rasputin. User of the Gregorian calendar. Uh, uh-huh. Everybody
2: <laughs> knows how that song goes.
0: His first name was actually Gregory... <laughs>
1: I know. The calendar's named after him.
0: Yeah. Uh, yes. All right. So we it. didn't get into this when we were talking about the 1906 Olympics because this came up then as well. But at the turn of the 20th century, there were still some countries using the Julian ca- calendar. This is why if you ever look up information about the 1906 intercalated Games or the 1896 Olympics, you might see two sets of dates because most of the world, inclu- including the U.S., used the Gregorian calendar and still do to this day. But Greece and Russia and some of the other countries were still using the Julian, which has dates 13 days behind.
1: And yet, Greece has been getting this right and, in fact, doing better than most countries for years yeah, at this well, point. Yeah, I mean,
0: it's just the calendar, right? Guys,
2: this is like, this is like, it would be so silly. Like, if somebody, like, if one country just used a different system of measurements or whatever <laughs> and, like, everything was insane. Happen. It would just, like, be so, so stupid, right? So it would be just like that.
0: So when the Russians got the invitation they thought they were giving the information in the Julian calendar when they had actually tra- yeah the Julian calendar which is their own and showed up 2 weeks late to the shooting events. This wasn't a problem with the other events they competed in so I'm not sure why this communication happened specifically in shooting. In the, of the 15 events, 3 involved moving targets, trap shooting, moving target which is just a bullseye that moved along a track and
1: Running deer shooting. Maybe everyone else thought they were going to have two weeks of a vacation before the events happened. Can we talk about the running
0: deer? We are going to talk about the running deer because they did not... That was a metaphor,
1: right? There's no literal deer.
0: They didn't make it clear in the Mallon and Buchanan book, so I had to look this up on the Wikipedia article. It was not an actual deer. (laughs) There was just was a... was a dog
2: dressed as a deer. Oh, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there was just a deer-shaped target. That it they was had. a
1: random boy from oh the
0: street. Oh, <laughs> A <little laughs> deer boy
1: dressed as a deer. He
0: had, he had the little headband from uh, that the dog wears in... They put him in They stuff it with pillows. He's yeah. fine. <laughs> no, it was a deer-shaped target that they had moving along a track that you either got one or two shots at, depending on the event. Cranks
2: the deer on the track. No. Yeah.
0: So yeah, no actual deer were harmed in the shooting of these Olympics. I'm
2: shocked by that, frankly. Yeah,
0: that's actually surprising. I think there was another one where they actually shot birds. Uh, I think it was in St. Louis. I was
2: worried they were going to be, like, shooting cyclists or something.
0: <laughs> a cyclist wandered down to the shooting range.
1: <laughs> a speed walking judge <laughs> to, wandered so into the no. shooting range.
2: That's, that is odd, though. No judges wandered into the shooting field to <laughs> no. just inspect the grounds. Yeah.
0: Court tennis there were two kinds of tennis played at the 1908 olympics court tennis or jeu de pom, and lawn t- yeah, and lawn tennis neither event was especially international court tennis also, like i said also known as jeu de pomme royal tennis real tennis or just tennis depending on what <laughs> source you're using it's played inside on a dedan and has a very complicated system of scoring what we call tennis now the outdoor sport that relies more on power than finesse and strategy was then called lawn tennis. I think, still technically, that's still the name of it. Okay, and one,
1: tennis. there's definitely technique in current tennis. Yeah. Two, the scoring system in current tennis is already very arbitrary and dumb. Yeah. So how much more complicated was the indoor tennis I scoring system? I did not system? get
0: into that because I don't understand.
1: 15 love, <laughs> love, <laughs> love, 15
0: None all. of this means anything to me. Use Those numbers. are tennis scores. They're numbers.
1: Fifteen is a number.
0: That's the only number that shows up. <laughs> like, what's got, better, love, fifteen got, or love?
1: Like, fifteen is better. Love is zero.
0: What's all?
1: All means that it's a tie. Fifteen all means that you both have fifteen.
2: One time, I watched them make a cake with the tennis court on top of it and the Great <laughs> British Bake Off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, this That's is the only tennis. time this sport was a medal event, although it was an exhibition event in 1900. A total of 11 athletes competed, nine from Great Britain and two from the United States. Jay Gold, gold of the U gold of the U.S. won gold, with Eustace Mills and Neville Lytton Le- of Great Britain taking silver and bronze, respectively. <laughs> the other Olympic, uh, the other American who competed, Charles Sands, came in ninth but he was the men's golf gold medalist at the 1900 Olympics in Paris. We don't know if he knew that at the time, though, because uh, a lot of those people didn't know for a long time that they actually competed in the Olympics at Paris. Oh, that was the one
1: (laughs) where they tracked down the surviving relatives 50 years later and gave them medals.
0: So, lawn tennis was held at the All England Lawn Tennis and Croquet Club, a place better known as Wimbledon. (laughs) That's the actual name of Wimbledon. Um, uh the outdoor event was almost exclusively european save a few canadians and south africans covered court lawn tennis only had competitors from great britain and sweden out of the 89 competitors 15 were women 13 from great britain and two from sweden all in all it was a lackluster event as pretty much none of the top players of the time showed up to compete the one noteworthy event was men's covered court singles which was won by arthur wentworth gore wentworth is a nickname
1: that is a terrible nickname. Yeah,
0: I don't know where that, they got that from. Arthur. He had one of the longest careers of any tennis player. He played at Wimbledon every year from 1888 to 1927, winning three times. Oh. 1901,
1: 1908,
0: and 1909. He is still the oldest Wimbledon singles finalist, losing in 1912 to Tony Wilding at the age of 44, and he still competed for 15 years after that. He finished up at the age of 69.
1: I mean, at that point, it's his hobby.
0: <laughs> right? But he still had to qualify.
1: Well, he's very good at his hobby after all these years.
0: Wrestling. <clears throat> <clears throat> do, 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 do. This is the first time that both Greco-Roman and freestyle wrestling were events at the Olympics. They would not be in 1912, but from 1920 on, it would be standard. They didn't call it freestyle, though. They called it catch-as-catch-can which is no <laughs> mm-hmm. this was the first international competition of any res, any kind of wrestling that wasn't Greco-Roman so nobody really knew what to expect from that the matches were the best of one fall except for the finals and bronze medal matches which were the best two out of three falls the following match is
1: scheduled for one fall <laughs> and the, it is for the Olympic gold medal the, championship
0: the time limit was 15 minutes excuse me the time limit was 15 minutes for catches catch can and 20 minutes for Greco-Roman wrestling.
1: How many steel chairs were involved in catches catch can? <laughs> uh, it's
0: a lot. Uh, George Maynard. It's of not the U-
1: answer I was expecting.
0: <laughs> George Maynard of the U.S. won the flyweight class gold medal in catches catch can. He was a phenomenal wrestler, defending his wrestling gold medal from St. Louis. He also won the U.S. championship six times between 1902 to 1908, except for 1907. In the Olympic tournament, he won all of his bouts by falls, including his gold medal match against William Press. Afterward, quote, The victor offered to shake hands with the vanquished man, but the latter refused and went off grumbling. George de Raul of Great Britain won the gold in the lightweight class and silver in the middleweight class. He was the only wrestler to compete in two weight classes in catch as catch can wrestling in the 1908
1: Olympics. Ooh, did he go up or down between bouts?
0: Um, he went down. So er he he won gold in the lower weight and then silver in the higher weight.
1: But in terms of like he competed yeah. then he dropped a bunch of weight overnight
0: oh, and no. competed again. I think you you can't You
1: can just fight up. If yeah, you, you can want. fight up. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So he
0: he was a lightweight wrestler, also competed in middleweight. Uh he defeated Carl Anderson of Sweden on points in the semifinals and the Swedish officials protested and said Anderson was a more aggressive wrestler. The protest took so long, the bronze medal match was pushed the next day, and Anderson ended up refusing to compete for it anyway. The guy Darrell Wiskow lost to, in the middleweight class, Stanley Bacon of Great Britain, was the most successful of five wrestling brothers. He won 15 British championships, and his brother's victories brought the family total to 30. He would compete in 1912 and 1920, but not as successfully in the Olympics. Werner Weckman of Finland won gold in the Greco-Roman light heavyweight class, but in the medal ceremony he didn't get to see the Finnish flag raised because of the Russians. Instead, like at the opening ceremony, they just had a plaque that said Finland because Russia wouldn't authorize them having their own flag.
2: Please tell me I had an asterisk on it.
0: The Finland asterisk? Uh, yachting. Other than the 12-meter race taking place in Glasgow, the most interesting story about the yachting at the 1908 Olympics is the question Over whether or not the Duchess of Westminster won a bronze medal. Her boat, Sorias, was the bronze medal winner in the eight meter class, but some sources list her as a passenger, while others list her as the pilot. The IOC officially lists her as a, a bronze medal winner. All right.
1: Does everyone on the yacht not get a medal when you win a yacht race?
0: Um. Yeah, but like, the question is whether or not she actually participated, or if she was just sitting there along for the ride. But I mean, it's see. an eight meter boat. It takes more than one person to actually.
1: Right, everyone on the boat sailing. gets the medal. Right.
0: Not if they're not but, actually part of the team, <laughs>
1: like. That's just dead weight. Throw them off. At the yeah, day. I mean, it, it,
0: having passengers, I don't think is. N- common practice but she's also the duchess of westminster so it's possible she
1: dead could, weight thrower
0: <laughs> she owned the boat so like
1: <laughs> then she gets a medal <laughs>
0: yeah. i don't see a
1: problem here
0: so track and field the worst of the controversies during the 1908 olympics were focused on the track and field events which they called athletics i'm going to give you a few highlights of the other events because i feel like a lot of these athletes have been forgotten and part of the point of this podcast is to recognize their accomplishments again as in other years And as would continue for some time, the American and British teams were the powerhouses. They produced favorites in nearly every event and won the majority of them. All the controversies can be boiled down to American and British bickering, although in at least one of them, they used an Italian as a pawn. So for the highlight segment, I'm mostly going to be picking out the accomplishments of athletes who weren't British or American unless it's a particularly good story or continuation of a career we've been following. But just as an overview, this was the strongest international field of competitors for any Olympic Games to date. 430 athletes from 21 countries participated, competing in 26 events. The Americans dominated winning 16 gold medals. Great Britain won 9, and the only athlete to win a gold medal from any other country was Eric Lemming of Sweden, who won 2 gold medals for javelin. Along with that was a controversial decision to have sudden death heats. How many
1: javelin events are there to win gold medals in? Is Is it 2?
0: There were at least two of these. Is he these. just
1: the best at javelin?
0: <laughs> he, was, he was so good at javelin, they gave him two gold Are heart. there two
1: javelin events today?
0: No. <laughs> I think they did the two-handed here. We'll talk did about it. Did he them.
1: just throw two javelins at once and get a second medal? I th-
0: I, I, I can't remember exactly. I think I'll get to that, though. Um, the con- but We're going to talk about the sun-death heats. So only the top runner from each heat would advance, with no comparison to the time between different heats. So what ended up happening was that some advanced to the finals with slower times and others who had come in second in faster heats. Now in the Olympics and in most track meets, there's a system for the fastest runners across the heats to advance along with the heat winners to correct this error. So like if you're in if you're in a heat with like a bunch of really good runners. Right. The you're gonna tend to perform better than a heat with a bunch of lower ranked runners, right? Yeah,
1: the other runners in the race are certainly a factor. And yeah. I mean, to that end, it's reasonable that they changed these rules over time to account for that.
0: Yeah. So, but they, yeah, they just took the top, the, the the one who won the heat, regardless of how, what the time actually was. So we got some weird results because you'd have, like, really good runners clustered together in the heats, and then they wouldn't make it to the finals. Sucks for them. Yeah. So, jumping. Starting with the high jump, there were four qualifying pools designed to narrow the field of competitors to eight for the final. The Americans lodged a protest at the first pool because, ironically, pools of water on the track. More like puddles. Uh, uh, The conditions were slippery enough to hamper performance. The officials actually upheld this one and moved the other three pools to the other side of the track and did a rematch of the first They moved the
1: pools of water to another track?
0: They moved the pools, the heat. It's like a heat, but it's jumping, so they call it a pool. Otto Monson of Norway, who had won the original pool, refused to participate. Edward Leader of Great Britain had tied with Monson but couldn't even match his original high point and came in second. American Herbert Gidney, the guy who had lodged the protest in the first place, ended up winning the pool in advancing. So it worked. Yeah, Gidney would not go on the medal, though, he tied for fifth with fellow American Tom Moffat. Harry Porter of the US took the gold with an Olympic record of 1.9 meters. And then there was a three-way tie for the silver. With Con Leahy of Great Britain, Ireland protested Athens. Who remember him? Uh, he was one of the guys who climbed the flagpole.
1: Yeah, he created the in iris pose.
0: Yeah, István Simodi of Hungary and George Andre of France, all at 1.88 meters. <laughs> yeah, that's meanie. Not
1: 1.88 and two fifths point
0: three meters. Yeah, they something. didn't. Yeah, pole vault was past even. That. Yeah, pole vault was even wilder. I looked this up, and at this point in time, the poles were made of bamboo or aluminum and were not very bendy. The bendy fiberglass Mm -hmm. poles we see today weren't invented until the 1950s. Uh, Also, at these Olympics, the way the British officials had planned it, they didn't have a hole to plant the pole in. And no sandpit or hay bales or anything else to break their fall on the other side.
1: So, there are several questions (laughs) that are raised here aluminum and bamboo to my knowledge are not similar materials is are they similar in pole form i don't know okay uh, we don't use either do you, material no, anymore because <laughs> aluminum impale you die um
0: bamboo probably how, as
1: well. how do you launch yourself if there's no knock to put the pole into uh, i guess And then also you launch yourself over
0: to and n- die n- <laughs> yeah like to nothing yeah, I guess well, it was a cinder track too, so at least the track would have a little give. But again, yes, if
1: I fall fifteen feet onto cinder,
0: no, I mean the for to knock the. Palm.
1: Oh, oh, I see. Yeah, stabbing the track is also perhaps not ideal.
0: Yeah, no, I don't think it is. Okay, so. The Americans protested this, and at least got some hay bales.
1: Oh, problem solved.
0: The British also allowed the, quote, climbing technique, and this would be the last time it would be legal at the Olympics. So you would, like, get your pole up and then, like, shimmy up the pole, and then...
1: If you can do that while balancing the pole upright, that seems impressive.
0: Without anything to knock the pole. Yeah, I think
1: we should allow this.
0: (laughs) So, uh... This was the last time it was legal at the Olympics, although it would be allowed in British competition until 1920. At the end of all of this, Americans A.C. Gilbert and Edward Cook tied for gold with an Olympic record of 3.71 meters. Uh, Charles Jacobs of the US, Bruno Söderström of Sweden, and Ed- there's two umlauts in that name, and Edward Archibald of Canada all tied for silver with 3.58 meters. And there was also a tie for sixth place between Georgios Banks of Greece and Sam Bella of the U.S., who both cleared 3.5 meters. Gilbert didn't stop at winning the gold for pole vaulting. In 1905, he won the Yale Gymnastics Championship, and then in 1906, he won the Intercollegiate Wrestling Championship. He got his MD from Yale but never practiced medicine. Instead, he founded a toy company, inventing such classics as rector sets and American Flyer electric model trains, and made a fortune that way.
1: Hmm. Old, that's a very even before you get to the part where he invents trains. That's a diverse set of sports. Yeah,
0: our old fave, first Jewish American Olympic gold medalist and uh, puncher of his teammate in eighteen or nineteen hundred, Alvin Kreinslein, or, or uh, May, uh, gold medalist Meyer Prinstein, the one who got screwed over by teammate Alvin Kreinslein back in Paris, had retired from the sport at this point. So did Ireland's Peter O'Connor. They were the two dominating forces in long jump for quite some time, so without them, this field was wide open. Francis Irons of the U.S. put in a career-topping showing and won gold, though he would never come close to that again. Triple jump was also was still something of a niche sport, maybe because it was still called hop, skip, hop step, and jump. Meyer, I mean, that is at least accurate. Yeah. Meyer-Prinstein had set the Olympic record in 1900, and Timothy Ahern of Ireland finally beat it in his gold medal jump of 14.92 meters. Canadian Jay Garfield MacDonald took silver and Norwegian Edvard Larsen took bronze. Ray Ury won standing high jump and standing long jump again. This was his fourth and final Olympics, so in 1912 we'll hear about somebody else winning these events. Between gold medaling four times in both standing long jump and standing high jump and gold medaling twice in uh, standing triple jump, it was only an event in 1900 1904, he had a career record of ten gold medals this record would stand until michael phelps finished his career with 23 gold medals
1: and phelps had help because water buoys you up this jumping stuff is you against gravity this is much more impressive he
0: doesn't even run
1: he's just there and then he's up yeah and then he gets a medal
0: because two of those medals were from the 1906 intercalated games the ioc doesn't count them which gives him a career total of eight tying with usain bolt but we count them we count the 1906 ones. So it's up to 10 again. Which be- means he beats you same Uh Throwing. A lot of familiar names at the throwing events. If you remember from the last few games, Ralph Rose of the U.S. won golden shot put. He was the greatest shot putter of the pre World War One era. In 1908, he was 6'6 six six and three quarters inches, or 2 meters, and weighed about 285 pounds, or 130 kilograms. They always give the heights and weights of the shot putters. I'm not really sure why.
1: Well, if you are taller. You have an advantage because the shot put starts up higher and it can go more distance. He
0: also won in 1904, but did not compete in 1906. It was supposed to be a big showdown between him and Dennis Horgan of Ireland, but Horgan was much older and really in the waning years of his career. He would have done a lot better- oh geez, something just happened to my keyboard. Um, he would have done a lot better if he had competed in any of the Olympics between 1900 and 1906. Horgan did have a stellar career, winning, among other things, 17 Irish Championships for a shot put. Horgan did win silver in 1908, though, beating out American John Garrels, who won the bronze. Another familiar name is Martin Sheridan, if you remember. He was a stellar Irish-American athlete who was favored to win the all-around decathlon in 1906, but had to withdraw after he injured his leg in the long jump. But he injured, he tore it up with his cleats.
1: Oh, he was the guy who stabbed himself.
0: Yeah. In 1908, Sheridan was a two-time Olympic champion in discus and the world record holder in the event. He won another gold in discus. He also won the classical discus throw with an Olympic and world record throw. Again, this event was an attempt to recreate the style of discus that was thrown at the Mm, ancient Greek games. The
1: fake style of Greek discus that was painted on vases?
0: Historians argue that the entire event was based on a mistranslated corrupt text and nobody in Greece ever did what these guys were expected to do.
1: But we have so many vases
0: at some point they stopped having this event and i'm but i'm not exactly sure why i think it's one of the ones that didn't come back after the war anyway this was the last olympics for sheridan and his last event counting the intercalated games he had amassed a total of nine medals five gold three silver and one bronze in hammer throw the legendary john flanagan i think we've been talking about him yes. since 1900 yeah uh had a young op chomping at his heels Matthew McGrath was another Irish-American immigrant who had come onto the scene in 1907, finishing second at the AAU Championship.
1: These guys can throw hammers.
0: This was just the beginning for McGrath, whose career uh, would continue until 1928, setting a number of world records, winning seven AAU titles, and appearing in a few more Olympics. It's also worth noting that McGrath was also dealing with a knee injury during this uh, competition that hadn't completely healed yet and then i have something about Reed flanagan excerpt but i don't know where that is
1: the flanagan excerpt uh is that tug of war 400 meter race cycling no,
0: no. hammer throw no it's not the hammer throw because that's a different guy i might have, i don't know where that went i might have forgotten to photocopy it anyway we're moving on this is our time Ma- well, I don't have it. Uh, McGrath got the silver in hammer throw. Cornelius Con Walsh. I always thought Con was short for Connor, but Cornelius Con Walsh of Canada, also Irish born, won bronze, and Scottish thrower Thomas Nicholson came in fourth, which means this event was very good for the Celts. In this case, and in case you were wondering, Con was perfectly happy with his bronze medal, and this is an excerpt I know I have about Con Walsh's training regime. Oh, ah, yes.
1: Hidi Ryan, USA, commented on Walsh in a 1958 interview, quote, Khan liked the good life, and as far as he was concerned, training was not part of the good life. He could have been he could have beaten a lot of us, but he never bothered with any serious training. He was lazy, but thoroughly enjoyed competition and was a wonderful man to all to know at all times.
0: <laughs> so that's the uh, Canadian uh,
1: I mean, champion, I would say something something squandered natural talent, but also he went to the Olympics and seemed like he partied all the time and <laughs> had all friends with and, the Olympians. And
0: he medaled anyway.
1: Yeah, and so he's like BFFs with like the other medalists, so maybe he didn't really need to train?
0: Okay, here we go. Here's the where this guy, Eric Lemming, got his two uh, Javelin gold medals. There were two Javelin events, freestyle and, quote, held in middle. I have no idea what the difference is there. Well, held, usually you hold the middle. Held
1: in middle is you hold it in the didn't you do javelin in, in yeah, school. You usually yeah.
0: hold it in the middle. Yeah.
1: And then freestyle is you don't have to do that, but you probably still do because every other place to hold it is worse. I right? mean you
0: could hold it with your teeth, I don't know. <laughs> the same guy, Eric Lemming of Sweden, won gold each, probably holding it in the middle on the freestyle. Arnie Halls of Norway won bronze in freestyle and silver in held in middle. Mikhail Derizis of Greece won silver in freestyle, and Otto Nilsson of Sweden won bronze and held in middle. One weird thing about the javelin events involved Hugo Weislander of Sweden, who came in fifth in the freestyle event. He He had the second best throw of the competition, but it wasn't allowed. The reason given was that his grip was not legal, but the rules explicitly stated that, quote, the manner of holding the javelin is left to the absolute discretion of each competitor because it was a freestyle event. Too free. So why this was an issue for Weislander, I don't know. The only person who reported on this was Swedish sports historian Ture Woodland, and I don't know if the Swedes ever issued a formal protest over this decision. Although, you know what I think, just based on what they said now that I'm thinking about it, there are like at least two different ways to grip the javelin. Okay. So that may have been the difference in freestyle. But It's up to the discretion. Well, yeah, I mean, the the disqualification of that guy is weird, but I'm saying... but Maybe I don't he know.
1: launched it out of, like, a trebuchet or
0: something. <laughs> anyway.
1: That would still fall under absolute discretion,
0: right? <laughs> I don't know. All right.
1: Maybe he hit somebody. Maybe. Maybe he impaled a, a race-walking that judge happened. who wandered into the field.
0: That happened at a meet once. A girl got hit. She wandered onto the <laughs> she, had, she wasn't seriously injured, which is why I'm... Mentioning it <laughs> uh,
1: in race walking.
0: She did get uh, Running Reggie Walker of South Africa won gold in the 100 meter sprint With a time of 10.8 seconds Just barely beating James Rector of the US Who was just inches ahead of bronze medalist Robert Kerr Of Canada and Ireland uh, Wait I think he was, yeah, I think he emigrated or something. Uh, Reggie Walker was 19 years, 128 days old when he won the gold and set the Olympic record. He is to date the youngest sprinter to ever win Olympic gold in the men's 100 meter. Irish-born Canadian Robert Kerr, who emigrated at the age of 17 in 1899, won gold in the 200 meter sprint. Which means that this was the first time that the Americans failed to win either sprint. This is pretty rare. The only other times an American man did not win gold in the 100-meter or the 200-meter sprint were in 1928, 1960, 1972, 1980, and then 2008 through two, uh, 2016 during uh, Usain Bolt's career. <laughs> hmm. when, well, he
1: just won everything.
0: Yeah, he just won everything for about eight years. Uh, the 400-meter was such a mess, we're covering it in our three controversies section at the end. Melvin Shepard of the U.S. was heavily favored in the 800-meter race and won his first of four gold medals. Between 1908 and 1912, he would win the 800-meter, 1500-meter relay medley, and in 1912, the 4x400 relay gold. The five-mile race was won by Emil Voigt of Great Britain. This was the second and final time it would be an Olympic event. The first was in Athens in 1906. The marathon is another part of the three controversies.
1: American hurdlers... The marathon never goes well. (laughs)
0: It went well in in Athens in both times. Oh,
1: outside of actual Greece with (laughs) actual marathon. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Yeah, because even in 1900, there there was the American protesting that the uh, guy who won, like, cheated because they were running through Paris, and he lived in Paris. Anyway, um, American hurdlers dominated the sport in 1908, and all four hurdlers in the final for the 110-meter hurdles were American. They swept. The gold medalist, for Smithson, was a devout Christian who vehemently objected to Sunday competition. There's a famous photograph of him racing with a Bible in his hand that some think was actually taken at the Olympics. It wasn't. It was a photograph staged to protest Sunday competition. It's unclear why he felt the need to protest, as there was no Sunday competition at the 1908 Olympics. It was unheard of in Great Britain at the time, and the final for the 110 hurdles was on a Saturday.
1: Also, if your argument is that you can still run the race with the Bible, we don't need to move it. You can run it on Sunday with the Bible.
0: Yeah, but it wasn't even on a Sunday. Like, it's silly all around. The first round of the 100 meter hurdles and the 400 meter hurdles was ridiculous, with the 400 meters being slightly worse. Standard
1: persecution of Christians in modern times. Yes.
0: (laughs) They had 12 heats for the 400 meter and 14 heats for the 110. They did not have nearly enough competitors to fill out all these heats, with at least three, maximum four, hurdlers in each race. There were two heats for the 110-meter hurdles that had three runners, seven that had two, and five that only had one.
1: Oh, I better know who won this.
0: Yeah. In the 400-meter hurdles, there were four heats that had only two, seven that had one, and one that had to be voided because there was nobody to run in it. At the end of all that... (laughs) Charles Bacon of the U.S. took gold with an Olympic and world record of 55.0 seconds. Harry Tillman of the U.S. took silver, and British hurdlers Jimmy Tremere and Leslie Burton tied for bronze. 320-meter steeplechase was a British-dominated sport. Of the six finalists, four were British, one American, and one Canadian. Arthur Russell of Great Britain won the gold. American James Lightbody, the 1904 Olympic steeplechase champion, didn't even qualify for the final. John Isil Isle of Isley of uh america did and won the bronze it's, it was impressive that he managed to compete at all let alone medal, as one of his toenails had been torn off in training a few days earlier imagine being
1: a spectator on a heat with one runner
0: <laughs> this is this is the thing about uh track meets nobody watches the freaking heats
1: <laughs> that, that, all right that's fair uh
0: the 1600 meter relay was the first olympic running relay race They didn't use batons, they just touched the next person. Kind of like how they do in speed skating now, when they do relays, they don't use a baton. Um, The four runner teams covered a total of 1,600 meters, broken up in this order. 200 meters, 200 meters, 400 meters, and 800 meters. So that's the... So your
1: anchor's doing quad duty on this.
0: The Italians were favored to be at least finalists, but withdrew at the last go... at, at At the last something... To go lend support to Durando Pietri, Italian, the marathoner, for reasons we will get to when we get to the controversies. The American team won gold, German silver, and the Hungarians won bronze. The three-mile team race was won by the British, with Americans in second and the French in third. There were two walking races. No! (laughs) The 350... No! (laughs) The what is that? 3,500 meter and the 10 mile. 10-mile walking race. No great controversies this time. British swept the 10-mile. Just the
1: and- standard amount of cheating.
0: <laughs> they didn't do it at the end in front of the finish line, so they didn't notice. Uh, British swept the 10-mile and took gold and silver in the 3,500-meter. Uh, New Zealander Harry Kerr took bronze in 3,500-meter speed walk race. Now we're on to our three controversies.
1: <clears throat> Ooh, exciting. Tug of war. Tug of war.
0: Seven teams entered to compete in the tug-of-war, but Germany and Greece withdrew, so only Sweden, the United States, and three British teams, comprised of policemen, competed. The British teams were the London City Police Team, the Liverpool Police Team, and the K-Division Metropolitan Police Team. The controversy was over the Americans versus Liverpool. Liverpool kicked their butts, essentially. According to the Daily Graphic, quote, the United States remained as competitors for the shortest time on record. The Liverpool police pulled them over the line almost as soon as they threw their weight on the rope.
1: Not sound that controversial so far. The American, you lost the tug of war. The Amer- Very straightforward.
0: <laughs> the Americans protested, claiming that the Liverpudlians were wearing illegal boots.
1: Liverpudlians, is that the actual term? Yes. Illegal boots, is that because they were anchored in place?
0: The all no, British- you have
1: to be able to walk backwards to win a tug of war. <laughs>
0: yeah. The all-British judges dismissed the protest. The Liverpudlians offered a rematch in which they'd wear socks, but the Americans rejected that offer.
1: Ah, see, that's going to swing public opinion against you. If you don't think you can beat them in socks, maybe you can't actually beat them.
0: This should have been the end of it, but was not. This spat was taken to the press, and we have a few letters and editorials here. So if you guys want to split those up.
1: Ah, yes. Frank's Uh, been,
0: like, excited about one of these.
1: No, it's just been the one that's been in front of me yes. while we've been recording. The uh, 21st of July, 1908, The Sporting Life, uh, letter directed to the American Olympic team. Sir, <laughs> in connection with the complaint made by the American tug-of-war team regarding the boots worn by the Liverpool police team, I should like to state that the City of London police team are prepared to make a match with the Americans before they return home. In which both teams shall put in stocking feet. The mats might take place at the stadium on Wednesday or Thursday, and the city police would be willing to pool for anything the Americans like in way of prize or for nothing at all. <laughs> we do not wish the Americans to go back home dissatisfied with their beating, and we, therefore, give them the opportunity of showing if they are capable tuggers as they claim to be. I am NC, H. Duke, Captain of City Police Team, London, July 20th. And
0: then, what's, what do we, have? we have a response to this.
1: Uh... Yes, the response. Secretary of Liverpool Police uh, addressed the, the question of prepared boots. Uh, t- 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 now, this is this an American response or another British response? There it might
0: be another British.
1: A, uh, the policemen who pulled in the tug of war against the American team in the Olympic Games wore their ordinary du- duty boots, as it is invariable custom to pull in such boots, which have gone too shabby to be worn on street duty. The boots are not prepared or altered in any way. So... so the counter argument was they wore the old jank patrol boots <laughs> that were too jank to wear to regular patrol. Yes. I suppose that could have given them an advantage, but I really don't see how.
0: <laughs> but they're saying they had cleats is what the Americans were claiming. Or at least one American was claiming. The person behind all this idiocy, James Edward Sullivan! I wondered
1: when we were going to get to him. You mentioned (laughs) he was going to be the antagonist yet again, and I have seen uh, hide nor hair of him for the entire games.
0: He lodged the initial protest, and almost certainly was egging various people on behind the scenes. And the london Sydney team won gold, Liverpool silver, and K-Division bronze. So, the 400-meter race...
1: Hold on. Was the American team wearing his terrible shoes (laughs) is that the problem
0: possibly uh 400 meter race was a mess
1: i'm gonna just assume it was again these terrible shoes
0: this was one of the most controversial races in olympic history and would take months to sort out and it all came down to staying in their lanes
1: crass mccree strikes again
0: We've talked about how lanes work in long-distance races for running or skating or cycling. There's a lot of strategy and maneuvering that happens to box people out, keep in the wind stream until you sprint for the end, and other such things. This, generally, is not a thing that happens in sprinting. The speeds are too fast for one thing, making such maneuvering even more dangerous than in long-distance races, and the races are generally too short for there to be all that much benefit from swerving around.
1: Yeah, the strategy in sprinting is the tactics of sprinting, which is that you run very fast and you win.
0: Yeah. Um out of the sprinting events, the four hundred meter is the one where this could potentially be a factor if it weren't for the rules that we have explicitly forbidding such things. In the four hundred meter sprint you are assigned to a lane that you have to stay in for the course of the entire race, which is now about one lap around the track. These are the current IOC rules regarding lanes for all sprinting and hurdling events. Uh, for all Olympic sprint and hurdle events, runners must remain within their pre-assigned lanes, which measure 1.22 meters, or 4 feet wide, from start to finish. The lanes are numbered 1 through 8, starting with the inside lane. Any athlete who runs outside the assigned lane is subject to disqualification. If the athlete is forced to run outside of his her lane by another person and no material advantage is gained, there will be no disqualification. Also, a runner who strays from his or her lane in the straightaway or crosses the outer line of his or her lane on the bend and gains no advantage by it will not be disqualified as long as no other runner is obstructed. So you can swerve from your lane so long as you don't actually gain anything from it.
1: I mean, if you swerve from the lane, you're going more distance. It's generally not helping unless you mess with somebody else's run. Yeah. I suppose that's fair. It does introduce some wiggle room, which I'm sure will never be a problem.
0: The rules of the 1908 Olympics were the AAA British rules and were pretty similar on this front. Any competitor willfully jostling or running across or obstructing another competitor as to impede his progress shall forfeit his right to be in the competition and shall not be awarded any position or prize that he otherwise would have been entitled to. There were four athletes involved in the controversial final race, three Americans and one British. Wyndon Halswell was the Englishman, and John Carpenter, William Robbins, and John Taylor were the Americans. Halswell was the fastest, having already set an Olympic record in the second round of the qualifiers and favored to win. Carpenter was in lane one, then Halswell, Robbins, and finally Taylor on the outside lane. In the home straight, Carpenter had a slight lead over Halswell, and in an attempt to keep it, he started moving progressively toward the outside lane. He actually forced Hallswell all the way to within 18 inches of the outside edge of the track before the British officials got fed up, broke the tape, and declared the whole race void. Hallswell slowed to a jog, and Carpenter crossed the finish line at an unofficial 48.44 seconds. This all happened in less than a minute, too.
1: I feel that you would disqualify. I, I suppose if the first person's taking the second person out, you kind of have to scrap the whole race.
0: 'Cause like they're pushing everybody over too yeah. from his position. Yeah,
1: there's really no way to undo this. Yeah. In the time frame of the race itself.
0: The officials debated what to do and decided to hold a re race two days later, stating the judges have decided that the race is void and order same to be rerun in strings on Saturday next, July twenty fifth, at twelve o'clock. JC Carpenter is disqualified.
1: This- oh perfect.
0: Um So, yeah, and they have, like, strings set up to keep the lanes, to keep you from, like, moving outside (laughs) the lane. The Americans refused to participate. They said Carpenter was the first to cross the finish line. They considered him to be the Olympic champion. Halswell ran the race, the re-race, uncontested and won the gold medal.
1: I don't see any controversy here.
0: No silver or bronze medals were awarded. This would not be the end of it. Over the next few months there will be arguing about this race in pamphlets, newspapers, and other publications in both America and England, and we okay. have a few of these.
1: Bitching about something does not make it a controversy.
0: But
1: Right? Um, is that not right? No, that's not right, is it? No, that's exactly it's how it's going it works. back and that's forth. That's what controversy means.
0: Yeah. Ah. So we have um okay, no, we don't need to do that. Wait, where does fifty three okay. So we have like three excerpts here. And one of them includes the rules I just read. So what do you, what do you guys want to do? I
1: don't know if we need to reread the rules. All this right, I'll probably, I'll reread this, this one cuz I'll out skip out yeah,
0: no, I'll read the first one and, and cut the part out that I actually read. Okay, so this in uh, okay. Uh, this is a letter from David Scott Duncan, which was published in the field on July 29th, 1908, or August 29th, 1908, which also disputes Stagg's statement that Carpenter's tactics would have been allowed in the United States. So they're trying to argue that this is legal in the U.S.
1: Great. Are the Olympics in the U.S. this year? I don't think that they are. So You know uh, what else would have flown in the U.S. Olympics? Poisoning people with strychnine? Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh so duncan had been the referee of the 400 meters that Halswell had was badly bored and obstructed is of course beyond question and the american rules as to such tactics are even more explicit than those obtaining in britain um so basically it says that the referee can disqualify the competitor who is at fault if he considers the foul intentional or due to culpable carelessness and he shall also have the power to order a new race between the competitors that he thinks entitled to such a privilege so he pulled out the american rule book it's like this is the actual rules that you guys say you go by
1: yeah it's you're still not allowed to just body check a dude out of the side of the track
0: in the face of the above rules of union of which mr sullivan is president (laughs) Uh, uh, these are so great he is surely left quote without a leg to stand upon i may add that i was referee of the 400 meters david scott duncan And then we have from William Halswell and John Carpenter also have things. So did you want to read Halswell?
2: Uh, Sure, which one? The pink. As regards the 400 meters race, Carpenter did not strike me any vigorous blows with his elbow, nor were there any marks on my chest, nor did I say that Carpenter struck me or show the marks to any press representative. I did not attempt to pass the Americans into the last corner, reserving my effort for the finishing straight. Here I attempted to pass Carpenter on the outside, since he was not far enough from the curb to do so on the inside, and I was too close up to have crossed behind him. Carpenter's elbow undoubtedly touched my chest, for as I moved outwards to pass him, he did likewise, keeping his right in front of me. In this manner, he bored me across quite two-thirds of the track and entirely stopped my running. As I was well up to his shoulder and endeavoring to pass him, it is absurd to say that I could have come up on the inside. I was too close after halfway around the bend to have done this. Indeed, to have done so would have necessitated chopping my stride and thereby losing anything from two to four yards. When about 30 to 40 yards from the tape, I saw the officials holding up their hands, so slowed up, not attempting to finish all out. Men need hobbies. This is the hobby. Men
1: need hobbies.
0: (laughs) He was, like, throwing bows. (laughs) I... And then John Carpenter. I'm not sure I
1: follow how you were supposed to get around and behind the runner if you all have lanes to begin with. <laughs> I feel like this might have been a counter move. Like, how? What, what was he trying to do? Other know. than not get elbowed? In, yeah, in yeah. The chest. That's, that's,
0: I think that's all his like plan was to not get elbowed in the chest and not like hit the guy. I mean, that's a solid plan. Yeah.
1: Uh, The response uh, John Carpenter gave his version of events, published in the Daily Mail on 24th of July, 1908. I started with the inside berth. Hallswell was next to me, Robbins next to him, and Taylor on the outside. Up until the final straightaway, Robbins led, and I was running second. Hallswell was close behind me, I imagine. At the first curve, the distance were unchanged. Then, a second bend right around the corner, because of my long stride, was unable to stick to the inside berth. It was at this point I attempted to pass Robbins and moved wide into the straight. Hallswell was still behind me. From this point, my path was absolutely straight to the finish line. For about 10 or 15 yards, uh, at 80 yards from the finish, Hallswell was running absolutely abreast of me, with plenty of room outside of him, and he could have passed me on the inside, if necessary. I do not know of any contact between us at any point during the race. I have always, I always know exactly what I do during a race, and I am perfectly certain we did not touch. I do not see yeah. how a race could have been any more fairly run.
0: <laughs> they ended up, like, almost off the track. <laughs> like, it is a little... I mean, this
1: sounds reasonable. Like, the, the the framing of events here, like, seems fine. The statements themselves are not outlandish in the way that some of them have been in these excerpts. It's just that all of the judges disagree. <laughs> that gives me pause.
0: Yeah. <laughs> As for Wyndham Halswell, this would be the end of his brief career as an amateur runner. He had won the silver in the 400 meters and the bronze in the 800 in 1906 in Athens. He also won the 100 yards, 220 yards, 440 yards, and 880 yards at the 1908 Scottish AAA Championships all in the same afternoon. But the controversy over his gold medal finish in 1908 so discouraged him that he ran one more race in 1908 at the Glasgow Rangers Sports before quitting the sport completely. Whether or not he would have returned in some capacity, we don't know, as he was killed in action, shot by a sniper in France following, during World War I, while attempting to rescue a fellow wounded officer. That was uh, March 31st, 1915. In 2003, he was posthumously inducted into the Scottish Sports Hall of Fame, where his Olympic medals and other trophies are displayed. As for John Carpenter, he hadn't competed much before the Olympics, and there's no record of him competing afterward, possibly for the same reasons that Hallswell quit.
1: He may have also read the rules and said, oh, shit. Actually, that was super illegal. My bad.
0: Marathon. The internationally accepted distance for a marathon is 26 miles, 385 yards, or 42,195 meters.
1: Or one marathon.
0: The reason for this is not based on the distance from Marathon to Athens. It is an arbitrary distance That was used at the 1908 olympics that starting at the 1924 olympics became the international standard for marathons
1: (laughs) so wait this is the start of the length of a marathon Mm -hmm. how much of a marathon did they run at the previous marathon it
0: was about
1: that like it
0: it was all around that but now the exact distance has been set. okay
1: i mean that's fine
0: the reason the race was 26 miles 385 yards was because princess mary requested that the race start under the windows of the nursery by the East Terrace at Windsor Castle, so that the young princes could have a good view of the runners. The race then ended in front of the Royal Box at the White City Stadium, and now all marathons are the same length as it took to get from those windows to that Royal Box.
1: If you're the royalty of the country, <laughs> and you already, like, stole this Olympics, more or less...
0: They didn't steal it! The no. Italians gave it up, and they were like, who wants it? We need to do it somewhere.
1: Well, once you have it, regardless, I don't see any reason not to rearrange all of the distances for your convenience. Like, (laughs) I have zero problems with this.
0: As for the actual race, it was a mess. Not 1904 levels of mess, because no other Olympic marathon will ever be that bad, but this one's up there. To start with, there are 55 runners representing 16 nations, by far the most international marathon to date, Olympic or otherwise. British hoped they would manage to score a medal, although that was unrealistic, as they were not exactly world-renowned in the sport at the time of the 12 british runners who started the race eight dropped out of the four who finished the top ra- top ranking one william clark cl- came in 12th of the others george george lind who came in 19th was actually born in russia while he later emigrated and competed for great britain he was the first russian-born athlete to compete in, the- in an olympic track and field event it was a very warm day for a long distance race
1: this is a recurring theme
0: again not as bad as 1904 but nothing ever will be the high for the day was 78 degrees or 26 degrees Fahrenheit, eight degrees Fahrenheit, or jeez, 78 degrees or 26 degrees Celsius, eight degrees above the recommended max temperature of 70 degrees, which adds up when you're running a little over 26 miles. Each runner was escorted by two attendants on bicycles, most of them Olympic cyclists who met them at the Crooked Billet Inn at the six mile mark. Thomas Jack of Scotland had led the pack for the first five miles, but didn't even make it to getting his bicycle escort. After that, the lead was taken by British runners Fred Lord and Jack Price, who kept that up until mile 10 when Price pulled away and Lord fell back. Close at Price's heels was Charles Heffern of South Africa, probably one of the few actually accustomed to greater heat than what they were experiencing. Tom Longboat of Canada managed to make it to second place from about 17 miles through 20, but then dropped out, the heat getting the best of him. In fact, just a little over half of the runners who entered dropped out. Of the 55 who started, only 27 finished. By the 20 mile mark, the race was down to three runners, Heffrin, who we men- mentioned earlier, American John Hayes, and Durando Pietri of Italy. Heffern led the race from miles 15 to 25, leading Pietri by three and a half minutes. Around mile 25, Pietri did make a push to take the lead, And he did manage to do just that, but he started his push too early, and by the time he got to the stadium, he was spent. He stumbled and fell, but doctors and attendants rushed to aid him, possibly administering stimulants as part of the treatment, and helped him to his feet. He staggered and fell four more times in the final lap, and was aided each time. Eventually, he managed to cross the finish line, surrounded by a crowd of doctors, attendants and officials.
1: That cannot possibly count.
0: About 30 seconds after that, American John Hayes crossed the finish line with no help from anybody. Pietri had captured the imagination of the British crowd and was declared the victor. The Americans immediately protested. Oh my god, I'm actually on their side this time! <laughs> I'm shocked! Citing his assistance around the track, the South Africans also protested. The American protest was upheld, and Pietri was disqualified. And The South African protest was dismissed because it was resolved, and in the shuffle, Hayes got gold, Heffern got silver, and American John Forshaw got bronze. Pietri had to stay at the stadium while all this was being decided, He was only able to leave to get medical attention after they had resolved it all. He had
1: a whole crowd of doctors. <laughs> I presume they were still applying, you know, strychnine or whatever.
0: Yeah. The Queen gave him a special award the next day because the British crowd was so enamored of him. So I guess he's our sweet- He's our- the hometown our- hero. Yeah. Oh no, he's not hometown hero, but he's like the, the, the hunk, I guess, the, the crowd favorite. Um, Pietro turned pro after this, along with Hayes. They had four rematches in New York and San Francisco, and Pietri won all of them. He ended up being much more famous, to this day, than Hayes ever was. When Hayes returned home to New York, he discovered that Bloomingdale's department store had plastered their windows with his picture. There were stories about he worked, how he worked there and trained on the roof. All apocryphal. <laughs> he said later that he never worked for Bloomingdale's and had trained at a track outside Manhattan. I don't know why Bloomingdale's did this. I
1: bet it got them business. Yeah, I know true. exactly why they did it. Oh,
0: well, I know, but it still looks such a weird thing. Uh, they, people didn't
1: have Bing back then. Yeah, they ch- didn't know. You couldn't look things up.
0: I can't believe you're still trying to make Bing happen. All right. <laughs> While all this seems rather straightforward, it was not. Because this protest was not made in a vacuum. It came at the very end of two weeks of American protests that stretched the patience of British officials to the breaking point. So now we get into more of what John Sullivan was doing this whole time.
1: Did his stupid protests almost ruin the real legitimate yes. protest? Yes. Can we kick him out of the Olympics soon? No,
0: cuz he like runs everything. The the three controversies we just discussed were the most intense of the 1908 Olympics, but they were hardly the only ones. During the two weeks of the main athletics competition, the Americans filed protests averaging one a day. Now there were
1: You should get a gold medal for protest.
0: There were That would shut him up. There were a number of Irish American athletes on the American team and some of them had expressed Irish sympathies, but not all of the events included them. This was like a thing where they were like, oh, it's because they're all Irish. That's why they're protesting the British games, which was not really the case. Because We have
1: the actual Irish for that. Like, yeah. they're still here and yeah. mad about things.
0: So what was the problem? The problem was James Edward Sullivan. Sullivan was attempting to consolidate his position in the sporting hierarchy in America and to accomplish that, he felt he had to be seen as a dedicated team leader, tirelessly fighting for the rights of his athletes. This is how the American press, particularly the tabloid press- Winning
1: a gold medals is not a right to an athlete, yeah. just so we're clear.
0: Uh, the tabloid press portrayed him as such. The British press took a very different view—one probably more in line with how Sullivan actually appeared to most people, a needlessly combative weirdo whose constant complaints led to actual issues like the marathon end becoming part of this big feud that suddenly developed out of nowhere. Even New York-based Time, uh, New York-based newspaper *Spirit of the Times* said about Sullivan, "Mr. J. E. Sullivan degrades modern journalism. He is a renegade Irishman, the portrayal purveyor of shameful and malicious falsehoods." During the actual event, Sullivan complained about everything. He lodged protests for things that the competitors themselves had never said never happened. For example, he tried to have the results of the 100-meter freestyle thrown out with the claim that it started before swimmer Charles Daniels was ready, even though Daniels himself said that wasn't true. Mimi, what are you doing? Uh, DeKubert- Protesting. Yeah, my cat is protesting. DeKubertin said of the whole thing, I just could not understand Sullivan's attitude. He shared his team's frenzy and did nothing to try to calm them down. Later, Juan Sullivan realized that his constant criticism, and feuding with the Coubertin antagonism of the British Olympic officials and rabble rousing with his own team meant that he would forever be barred from IOC leadership. Imagine.
1: (laughs) I cannot. I cannot imagine
0: why they wouldn't. Were they already
1: feuding and like stealing Olympics from each other? Like this is this just the straw that's breaking the camel's back?
0: No, they already hated him. It was just like. Like, if he, if he had turned things around, actually behaved himself, maybe eventually they would have had him on the IOC because he was really important in American athletics, but he was such a jerk that, like, they didn't want him around. Um, so after he realized that he would be forever barred from IOC leadership, he tried to form his own American-based IOC.
1: But the I is... is it the AOC? <laughs> I
0: don't know. This was ultimately unsuccessful. I don't know what he was. The I what he thought this was gonna be. <laughs> also, while the criticisms and defenses went on for quite some time in the press, one of the more prominent defenses was written by Theodore Cook. Uh, he was one of the boat guys, the guys on the yacht from uh, 1906. Legs? No, no, the the fencers oh, on the yacht oh. in in Athens. He went on. He went through each complaint and took a strictly factual stance on them, even when complaints were as asinine. As when Sullivan claimed that the 110 events at the 1908 Olympics were too many. Uh, Actually,
1: that seems true.
0: uh, He pointed out that there were 390 Olympic events at the 1904 Olympics in St. Louis that Sullivan himself was in charge of.
1: Okay, that's not inconsistent. (laughs) Like 104 might be too many. He's just admitting that he did three times too many. Yeah, no, the the theater
0: cook is the one who was like, "But you did, like." Three hundred more.
1: <laughs> and so okay, what was Sullivan's reply to that? Which is just he didn't. Yes, I f-ed up. No, I did three times no, too many.
0: Sullivan's never gonna com- admit that he messed up anything.
1: Oh, we should bleep that out.
0: Yeah, anyway. There was an American response to this written by Gustavus Town Kirby, who was a very good friend of Sullivan's. It took the tone you might expect. It was mailed not only to the AAA, but also a copy was mailed to every college newspaper in the country. This all caused a rift between American and British amateur athletics that wouldn't really heal until 1922 when both the A.A.A. and the A.A.U. signed a letter formally restoring amicable relations. At the Olympics themselves, King Edward was so angry and insulted by Sullivan's behavior that he skipped the closing ceremonies, and Queen Alexandra was the one who presided over them. There were a lot of awards handed out at the closing ceremonies. All told, they had a little over 1,300 various medals, diplomas, special recognitions, etc. Not all of them actually made it into the program for these ceremonies, but that is what the majority of the event was comprised of. Durando Pietri, the darling of the games, was a particular favorite. Queen Alexandra gave him a trophy that was an exact replica of the one that Jonathan Hayes, who actually won the marathon, was given.
1: Ooh. Nice. Sick burn.
0: Hayes himself was given his actual trophy and carried around the stadium shoulder high on a table by his teammates. Back home in America, at a banquet celebrating returning american olympic athletes sullen paraded a quote british lion in chains and on a leash an act that very nearly caused is a le- this
1: also a metaphor
0: no it wasn't it was a lion uh an act that very nearly caused a legitimate international incident <laughs> he's such a jerk so and this is the last thing we're going to talk about john taylor whose name came up a couple times I want to end on a slightly more positive note. Was went, the lion okay? Lion, I mean, as okay as a lion in 1908 at New York is ever going to be. So not great. Yeah. We're going to end on a slightly better note with taking a little, talking a little more about John Taylor, the first Black American to win a gold medal at the Olympic Games. He was a cool dude and reserved some recognition outside of Sullivan's antics. He was born in Washington D.C. in 1882. His parents, Sarah Thomas and John Baxter Taylor were former slaves. When he was a child, the family moved to Philadelphia. He attended public schools and after graduating from Central High School in 1902, spent a year at Brown Preparatory School. There he got noticed for his exceptional skills in sprinting, setting the high school record for fastest quarter mile. After prep school, he enrolled in Penn School of Veterinary Medicine and joined Sigma Pi Phi, Penn's first black fraternity. While there, he was a member of the track team from 1903 to 1908, although he skipped in 1906 for some reason. His contributions to the team were significant, thanks in part to his enormous stride, which was 8 foot 6 inches. It was the longest known stride in running at the time.
1: That's more than my height.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's more than most people's height. Two of you. (laughs) That's like two of me, yes, I'm short. He set a number of records in several events during this period. He was also at some point he also at some point was recruited by the Irish American Athletic Club in New York and was its most prominent Black member. I think Meyer Prinstein was also a member. They weren't too strict on the Irish American part if you were good. <laughs> so he didn't compete in the 1904 or 1906 Olympics, making his debut in 1908. He was favored to win the 400 meter race and did well despite being ill at the time. He also had a chance at winning due to the controversy, but also due to the controversy, he had to boycott the rerun of the race with the rest of the Americans. So his gold medal was won in the one mile relay. Along with his teammates, Nathaniel J. Cartmill, uh, Melvin Shepard, and William F. Hamilton, they set a world record for the race. During his career, Taylor won 45 cups and 70 medals. Unfortunately, the 1908 Olympics would be his only Olympic performance. He died on December 2nd, 1908, of typhoid fever at the age of 26.
1: Well, so that's for the high note at the end of the podcast, well, but it's the, the, not the, his
0: fault. Yeah, not his fault, and I mean, better note is what I think I said, not a high note. Um, and there's some descriptions uh, about him in these obituaries and stuff that I'm going to quote, uh, with the understanding that these guys genuinely liked him, but it was 1908, and the language they use is kind of... A little, I would say maybe a little off, but I hope the sentiment carries through. Um, in his obituary in the New York Times, he was described as, quote, the world's greatest Negro runner. In a letter to his parents, Harry Porter, that name, I always want to say Potter, Harry Porter, president of the Irish American Athletic Club, said of him, it is far more as the man than the athlete that John Taylor made his mark. Quite unostentatious, genial, and kindly the fleet-footed, far-famed athlete was beloved wherever known. As a beacon of his race, his example of achievements in athletics, scholarship, and manhood will never wane, if indeed it is not destined to form with that of Booker T. Washington. At his funeral, held at his parents' home in Philadelphia, attended by thousands of teammates, classmates, and friends, well-known UPenn trainer Mike Murphy said he was, quote, the nicest man he ever had to train. He never had any, bo- gave any bother. Worked hard and was always on time. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's 1908.
1: There's a, there's a joke in there somewhere about a sprinter being punctual because they can make <laughs> it.
0: I like that the, the last, last leg. The, the one, the one of the thing, the big things that the guy said was like he worked hard and like didn't complain about stuff. Like how many. Okay. college athletes as he had to deal uh, all with. All of
1: the ones dealing under uh, Sullivan who are just super whiny, like <laughs> yeah. maybe the rest of them well, are some terrible. Of,
0: some of them were, Sullivan was whining for them. Like Charles Daniel was like, no, the race was fine. I, I, I just ready. lost. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that's 1908. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Olympic Cast or email us at olympicsizepodcast at gmail.com. Like, rate, review. If you like us, tell your friends.
1: Oh, I know we're running a little long on time. I was just curious. In terms of history making on this one, did we internalize any of the lessons from the uh, interstitial games? We had a lot of-
0: There were the national we teams. We had a lot of good
1: take- The national team stuck around.
0: Uh, the Opening and Linden- closing
1: ceremonies in a two-week period didn't yeah. really stick around. We haven't quite gotten well, that figured out they, yet.
0: They did truncate the time, and then there's like a big gap in between the games, because you have the winter games- we're like completely separated. Okay, think- so we're
1: trying to apply the learnings yes. there on timetables. We're not quite there. We do have national teams. We do have Russia. So we're okay. We're, yeah. we're internalizing a lot, and we're claiming that this is the first games that do those things because we ignored the interstitial ones.
0: Yeah, intercalated. Inter- what, well. uh, interstitial means something else, but yeah. So that's... So not bad overall. Yeah. And then the next time is going to be 1912 Stockholm.
1: We don't quite have mascots yet
0: no i don't think so okay at least none that they bothered talking about so isn't james sullivan a mascot yeah james sullivan Uh, (laughs) the lion kind of this is this is is the thing about james sullivan because i was talking to my parents and i was like there was this american official who was like super corrupt and a big jerk and they thought i was talking about somebody else so we will have another at least one other one of these
1: every story needs a good villain
0: and James Edward Sullivan's forming like the pre-World War One era. Why we founded
1: this country. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, we're gonna stop. <laughs> before... <laughs> it's my hot take from it. We're gonna stop before we get too political. Like, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends.